It's great to be together. Uh, in a moment, we'll open our Bibles, and um, so I'll with that in a second. But I, I, I want to let you know we have a around here. We have a mission statement that drives everything we do. Uh, we've had the same mission statement for over 20 years. There's no re- need, need to change it. It's clear. It's compelling. It's helpful. Uh, the mission statement of River West is that we are building together a community of Christ for the world. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And the reason I'm sharing that right, kind of right away in the new year is, first of all, that mission statement will explain to you why we do a lot of what we do. Why, why are we up here talking about all the, the events for men and women? And why do we randomly have donut holes out in the foyer? It's because we're building a community and we know that you're far more inclined to stay and meet somebody if there's donuts involved. So we really want to build a community. Um, so we'll, we'll, have, you know, we'll have events like Introducing River West. We have an Introducing River West coming, which is like a, a luncheon. You can find out about that when you go out there to get donuts. We have all these different things to get you connected. If you've never been to Introducing River West, you should come to one of these. You'll find out about what what the story of the church is, um, where have we come from, and you'll meet the leadership, and you'll hear about where we're headed, how you can be involved in that. Find out about that. But also, we're building a community of Christ for the world. We're a, here's what I want you to know. We're a for the world kind of a church. Okay, that's what we're about. We care about the world. We care about people who are hurting. We care about people across the globe who have not heard the gospel. This is why we send missionaries. We're sending missionaries from our church, Jameson and Fernando Willent. We send them out here, hopefully very soon. They've raised just over 70% of their support. And if you have still wondered, like I wanna support them and 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 you didn't do that, they're gonna be out there by the donut holes as well. Today, go meet them. These are amazing people. They're traveling to Southeast Asia and they're gonna provide support and training for pastors and missionaries who serve all around Southeast Asia. So we really wanna get behind this couple, meet them and uh, support them. So we're building a community of Christ for the world. And I, the reason I'm sharing our mission statement is because really uh, it's, it's not an accident that in God's providence, as we start 2023, we're entering into a passage, a portion of the book of Romans that's really about that mission statement, a community of Christ for the world. I don't think this is an accident that as we turn the page now to Romans chapter 12, Paul is gonna devote the next six chapters completely to a description of the kind of church that the gospel creates. Have you ever wondered that? What would be the characteristics of a church that is completely the fruit of of the power of the gospel? Because this is the kind of church that the world needs right now. Amen, River West? The kind of church the world needs is a a gospel-shaped church a church that's completely the result of the power of God's grace. That's what Romans 12 to 16 is all about. If you have your Bible, we open now to Romans 12. We're gonna start, we're gonna finish the book of Romans by Easter Sunday. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hands. Ushers are coming down the aisle and I want you to have a a Bible there in your hands. Today we just do the two verses that Eric read, Romans 12 verses uh, one and two. And uh, here's what I want to do. 
I want to kind of throw out a question this morning just to get you thinking about something that I've been thinking about as I've been studying Romans 12.1. This is sort of a little um, warm-up question. Here's the question. Why does it matter how Christians behave? Like, uh, I'm thinking about Christian conduct. The way we conduct ourselves in the world. Here's the question I want you to think about. Why does that actually matter? Now, one of the reasons I'm bringing this up, this is immediately what Paul's gonna talk about in verse one, okay? But before we get there, I just want you to think about it with me because there's all kinds of different ways that Christians answer this. Some of them are pretty good. Some of them are not so good. And over the years, I've sort of like collected some of these different answers. So here's one answer. Why, why does it matter how we behave? Some, some of you might say, well, if I behave well, God will bless me. And stated the other way, if I misbehave, if my, if my conduct is terrible, God will punish me or I'll experience hardship or suffering, right? I call this the Labrador retriever approach to religion, okay? Tail wagging, please bless me, God. I'll do whatever you ask, okay? But if, you, if you're thinking clearly, you, you're smelling something's wrong with that approach. That's sort of like a transactional relationship with God. And the reality is it, it breaks down because the bottom line is God never treats us the way we deserve. He's been so much more generous to us than we could ever, ever imagine. Amen. His mercy, his mercy. And not only that, sometimes Christians just experience suffering and hardship. Even Christians who are following headlong after Jesus. So that's problematic. Here's a second reason. If I behave well, Jesus will look attractive to unbelievers. Many of us recognize that. I think there's some merit to that. We know that when Christians conduct themselves in ugly ways, it makes Jesus look rather unappealing in our world, right? So there's some merit to that. I went to a seminary where one of my professors, Dr. Gary Brashears, he had this illustration that he used for how God reaches people in the world. He called it the warm cookie approach to the gospel. And the idea was, how do you get somebody to wanna eat chocolate chip cookies? All you have to do is bake them, right? Because the second you start baking those puppies and the smell drifts out of the kitchen, people just sort of, where, where's that coming from? They just want to eat those warm chocolate chip cookies. And this professor said, that's a lot like Christianity. Christianity, if, if Christians behave in a godly way, people will look at our conduct and Jesus will start smelling like a warm chocolate chip cookie, right? But here's the problem with that. That actually breaks down as well. That actually breaks down. This Friday, I was at a coffee shop and I was studying for the, this morning and I was sitting there. I was down at Morse Coffee in downtown Lake Oswego and there's people all around me and uh, I'm, I've got my, my Bible open and I've got a, a book, so I've got a hair on my... Um, it's really distracting. You're like, what are you doing up there, buddy? Okay, I'm sitting there and, and there were people from our church who were there and they, they were walking by and we were having all these interactions and there was a lot of joy and people were asking me about Kathy and, and how she's doing and there was a lot of like joy and warmth and all these interactions and I could tell the guy sitting next to me was like totally paying attention to what was going on. He's watching all my interactions. He's kind of watching me. Finally, people sort of leave and he turns to me and he's like, 
he, he saw one of the books on, on the table and he was like, that's a, that's a really big book. What are, you, what are you reading about? What are you studying? And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. This is a commentary on one of the books of the Bible. And you would have thought I threw a bucket of cold water on this guy. He was like, oh. And he just like put his, it was like, it was an amazing moment. He's like completely disinterested, right? All of that smell of warm cookies was immediately gone for him. Sometimes, no matter how well the church conducts itself, as long as we hold to certain biblical values or maintain certain biblical truths, people are just not gonna want it and have anything to do with Jesus. So here's, here's the one that I think really has merit. Here's what I want you to think about. This is Romans 12, verse one. When I behave in a godly way, it's a primary evidence that I've actually been transformed by Jesus. When, I, when, my life, when my life looks godly and I'm living and behaving and thinking and prioritizing things that represent the truth about God, what that is is it's this evidence that something has happened in my heart. My heart has been melted by the grace of God and I've been reborn by the Spirit of Christ. And my actions and my, my behaviors start to represent that. This morning, we're gonna learn from the Apostle Paul a fundamental principle of the Christian life. I'm gonna put up a slide. I can summarize this principle in four words. Write this down. Four words. Conduct always follows conviction. Always. Conduct follows conviction. What do I mean by conviction? What do you most deeply think and believe? What, what are your deepest beliefs about God, about his character, about, about reality, about the nature of this world? There's a direct connection between what I do and what I really believe. Not what I say I believe, what I actually believe, there's a connection. In our first year of marriage, I would tell Kathy all the time, I value you more than anything else. This is what I would say to my wife. But here's the problem. I was consistently late coming home. Like every day, I'd be like 30 minutes later than what I, when I would tell her I'd be home, you know? So I'd tell you, I value you so much, but then I was consistently late, and she started to really question how much I valued her, right? Because I'd be out, I was doing ministry, I was a young man, I was, you know, I was young, and I, for some reason I was really driven to be successful in ministry, and so whatever event I was at or whatever activity I was in, I'd get so caught up in it that in my head I would think, well, it's okay, it's just Kathy, she'll be fine if I'm 30 minutes late. And over time, that started to communicate to her my actual convictions. I remember sitting there one day, I got home three minutes late, and I was like, I'm so sorry. And she was like, it's okay. I told you dinner would be at 6.30, knowing you'd get home at, you know, knowing you'd get home a half hour late, so I actually planned dinner when you would actually get home, right? And I was like, oh, okay. Your conduct always follows conviction. That's why Paul pivots now. Look at Romans 12.1. Paul, he makes this massive 
pivot before he gives us five chapters of Christian conduct, how the church should behave, how we should treat one another, Paul says, first, I'm going to remind you of all of this rich truth, this gospel doctrine that I've been talking about. We look at it with me, Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But do you see what Paul does there in verse one? Paul says, before I, before I tell you what I want you to do, and I've got some incredible things that the church should be doing, offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, being transformed by the renewal of your mind, testing the will of God, then Paul's gonna go into chapter after chapter about how we should be treating one another. Paul says, before I say any of that, I need to remind you of all of the precious truth of the gospel. Why would Paul do that? Because Paul knows conduct always follows conviction. So he says, I am going to appeal to you. Yes, but how am I going to appeal to you? Therefore, look at verse one, by the mercies of God. Remember, this is last Sunday. Live your life with eyes wide open to God's mercy. Paul says, there's no greater incentive to holy living than a contemplation of the mercies of God. You start soaking in all that God has done, all the truth of God's mercy, it will begin to change you from the inside out and you'll begin to see your life change, every bit of it, the way you think, the way you behave, the attitudes of your heart, the way you prioritize your money, the way you use your time. Conduct always follows conviction. I don't remember where I found this quote, it's really old, but I'll put it up. I think this is really helpful. In the New Testament, Religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. Isn't that a great quote? Think about that. Ethical life is always fueled by gratitude. Oh, I'm so grateful for all that God has done. And suddenly you just begin to want to look like Jesus and live for Jesus and follow Jesus. So here's what I want you to know. This morning what I want to do is I want, you, I want to encourage you to grow in gratitude for God's grace. As you grow in gratitude for God's grace, Paul says two things will happen. The first one's in verse one. So look at verse one. He says, first, you will long to give your entire life to God in worship. Everything. You'll be like, I, my whole life, I'm just giving it to God as an act of worship. Not because you have to, not out of fear, not because you're trying to put God in your debt, but simply because you want to. It just makes sense. And the second thing is you grow in gratitude for grace. The second thing that will happen, this is verse two, and I'll talk about it in a minute. You're gonna develop a sensitivity and a distaste for all of the warped indoctrination of our world. You're gonna be really sensitive to it. Don't be conformed to this age, Paul says. You're gonna develop this really discerning sense and a distaste for all the doctrine of our world. And instead, you're gonna to long to know God's will for your life. So
So you can see Romans 12, 1 and 2. These are precious verses. We're barely going to preach them in one sermon, all right? These are the two ingredients that set the, set the tone for everything else that Paul's going to talk about. He begins, look at verse 1 with me. Paul says, present your bodies. Do you see this? After you've taken in the full mercies of God, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. So not out of fear, not out of obligation, but because it just makes sense. Unfortunately, our ESV Bible, it obscures a really important aspect of this sentence. We look at that phrase, spiritual worship, right there in your Bible. So there's a textual note there. You might have a number four that tells you to look down. There's another way to translate this, and I kind of wish the ESV had. That word spiritual is actually the Greek word rational. It's the Greek word logikon. It means this is just logical. This is just the kind of worship that makes sense. It's rational worship. Paul's saying, if you're thinking clearly on the subject of God's mercy, if you've really thought about it, if you've really taken time to think, what has God done for me through Christ, his death and his resurrection? Paul says, the only logical response is to turn your entire life over to God as an offering of worship. That's like, it just, that just makes sense. In fact, once you have a clear view of how much God has done for you, anything less than a total, complete sacrifice of yourself back to God is kind of irrational. It wouldn't make sense. God gave everything for my salvation, but I'm gonna hold back what I do on Friday. I'm gonna hold back what I do with my checking account. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold back with how I spend my time or how I prioritize my, my passions. It just doesn't make any sense. Paul says you don't, you'd never have to be forced or commanded to give yourself to God completely like this because it's just the rational thing to do. You know, Martin Luther, the, the reformer, he spoke often of what he called the dilemma of the great commandment. You know the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, strength. Martin Luther said, there's really kind of a dilemma with that because God is commanding us to do something that by definition, we really can't be commanded to do. Because if you love something, then you'd never have to be commanded to do it. Isn't that true? You would never have to command me to eat barbecue chips. All right, it's just gonna happen. You'd never have to command me to take a nap or kiss Kathy because that would be commanding me to do something that I already really love doing, right? And Martin Luther said, on the flip side, if you don't really love something, then no command would actually have the power to make you do it. If I don't really love God, then loving God with all my heart, soul, and strength is never gonna happen, even if you command me to do it. And so it is with this verse. Look what Paul says. He says, after you've taken in the full mercy of God, he goes, what's the most logical response? I'm just gonna give my whole life to him as a living sacrifice. Paul says, you would never have to command anyone to do that if they've actually really embraced the reality of God's mercy for them. It's just gonna happen. Paul says, this is the Christian vision 
of worship. Look what he says at the end. He says, this is your rational, your spiritual worship. This is what worship is. There's only one kind of worship that makes sense in light of all that God has done for you. And it's a whole life, whole body, all week long. Worship is not just a few songs on Sunday, right? Sometimes we think worship, I show up and I worship. I sing songs and then I'm good for the week. Paul's saying, nope, worship is what you do on Friday night, what you do on Monday morning. I like to say the Sunday morning worship service is really the closing ceremonies of your entire week, right? You've been worshiping God all week long, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, what you're doing on your computer, you're worshiping God, how you're spending your money, you're worshiping God. Then by the time you show up Sunday, it's just like closing ceremonies. I'm just, now it's, I just get to sing and rejoice. But also look at this, Paul says, worship is not just something I do with my heart. That word body, it's really interesting. Paul says, present your bodies Paul was being very intentional there. He's saying, I'm not just talking about an inner sort of subjective, private experience. I'm talking about a kind of worship that involves your bo- everything about your entire life. Your time, your thoughts, your emotions, the way you look, where I look with my eyes. Am I worshiping Jesus with what I look at? My, everything about my life is to be turned over to God in worship. And Paul says, think of it like a living sacrifice. We just look at that phrase. It's so interesting. That's a paradox, a living sacrifice. Because when you sacrifice something, you're killing it. So Paul's saying one way to think about worship with your life this week, the way to think about worshiping God is it's kind of a living killing. On the one hand, you're putting, your, you're, you're putting yourself on the altar. You're saying, I'm sacrificing my agenda, my, my sinful desires, I'm putting that to death. Paul's saying this is sort of the paradox of the gospel. By putting to death my sinful self-will, I actually finally fully come alive. That's life. Real life is the death to self and living. What did Paul say? I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is such a powerful concept, folks. There's so much freedom here. What would it look like for you every morning to lay your entire life on the altar and say, God, I'm yours? Because that's what, it's a daily thing. You know what they say, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps trying to crawl off the altar. Have you ever heard that? You gotta keep putting that baby back on there, all right? And you you need to do this every day. And sometimes you need to do it throughout the day. You're gonna get up tomorrow and start the day. Lord, I, I give my entire life to you. My body, everything is yours. And two hours later, some part of your body is back serving you, right? It's like the Adams family dude where his hand keeps crawling around the room, okay? That's your life. And you gotta take an inventory. So can I do something really practical? What if you took Romans 12, verse one, and you made that your prayer just for this first month of January? Memorize it and pray it every morning. And just imagine there's an altar there and you're sitting before God and you soak in all of his mercies and you say, God, the only rational, the only thing that makes sense, you get my whole life. 
And then you just start doing an inventory of all the aspects of your life. At work, on Friday night, every, take it all. Every part of your body and put it on the altar. Say, God, this is yours. I, I present it to you as a living sacrifice. You know what will happen? You'll become so pleasing to God and holy. You'll become free. I promise you this is one of the greatest things you could do. Memorize it. Make it your prayer. Good? Amen? Okay. That's the first thing. So Paul says the first thing is when you reflect on God's grace, it'll motivate what you do with your body. But that's not all. Now Paul's going to say something about our minds. We look at verse two now in your Bible. I'm going to put it on the screen. In verse two, here's what Paul does. He holds up before the Romans two patterns. You got to see this or you're going to miss the point of this entire verse. There's two patterns. There's the pattern of this world, and that word means this age. The Jews thought of the world in two ages, this present evil age, that's the world, and the age to come, which is the age of Christ. Paul says there's two patterns. One of them is of this age, and one of them is God's age, the age to come, the will of God. Paul says part of growing in Christ means recognizing and rejecting one pattern and discerning and loving and giving your life over to the other pattern. And Paul says you'll do this as you grow in gratitude for grace. It'll just start happening. But notice, the, so notice what Paul's doing here. He's, look, at he says, the antidote to conforming to this age. Do not be conformed to this world and what's the opposite of that? Be transformed. That's the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. It's a complete rebirth. You change internally to something new. How does it happen? By the renewal of your mind. Paul's contrasting two ways of thinking, two, two forms of ideology. There's, there's thought patterns, thinking patterns, ways of viewing reality, a worldview that represent God and his age and the gospel. And there's ideologies and patterns of thinking and worldviews that represent this current evil age. And Paul says part of the Christian growth is learning to discern those, rejecting one. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you something this morning? Jesus is not the only one trying to shape the way you think about reality. Even if you're a Christian, Jesus is not the only person trying to shape the way you think. Christianity is not the only worldview out to make converts, right? All the worldviews, all the, all the worldly alternatives to Christianity, they're trying to make converts just as much as Christianity is. And the question is, how discerning are you? How tuned in? As long as you live in this world, there will always be pressure to conform to the pattern of this world. For the rest of our time on this planet, we're gonna be pressured, pressured. 
How, how discerning are you when you watch that movie? What is, what is the rhetoric? What is the worldview that this, this, this is pushing? Do you remember when you used to turn on the news to get information about what was actually happening? Ah, the good old days, right? I'm just getting unfiltered information about what's actually going on. Not anymore. The news is, and, I, and you can tell me, oh, I watch one that's different. The news is worldview formation curated to shape the way you think about reality. How discerning are you? How tuned in? Are you so soaking in God's word and his ways and his will that you can sniff out stuff and go, that's not, that's, I'm, try, I'm trying to be pressured into, into jettisoning a fundamental truth of God by this Netflix show or this, or this Instagram feed. I remember reading about a, a, a spat that went down back in England back a couple years ago, and it happened in public. It happened through media, and it was a conflict between the prime minister then, David Cameron, and the bishop of the Church of England, who's a really famous theologian named N.T. Wright. And David Cameron was was speaking out about some social issue and he got on the news, he got all over the news and he said, he basically, here's what he said, he said, it's time for the church to get with the program. Okay, get with the program, Christians, all right? And N.T. Wright, who's very thoughtful, very winsome, very articulate, he wrote a response that got published in the Times of London and I want to read to you what he wrote because this is really, really helpful, okay? Because maybe you're, maybe you're not tracking with me. N.T. Wright captures what I'm trying to say here. He, he's writing to David Cameron, this whole idea of church, get with the program. Here's what N.T. Wright said. He said, the spirit of this age is notoriously fickle, Okay? Whatever the program is today, I promise you in two years, it'll be a different program. And we'll look back on that first program as being ignorant and out of touch, right? The spirit of our age is notoriously fickle. What is more, the church's foundation documents, to say nothing of its founder himself, were notoriously on the wrong side of history. The gospel was foolishness to the Greeks, said St. Paul, and a scandal to Jews. The early Christians got a reputation for believing in all sorts of ridiculous things such as humility, chastity, standing up for the poor, giving slaves equal status with the free, valuing women more highly than any culture ever before. People thought they were crazy, but they stuck to their countercultural gospel movement. If the churches had allowed prime ministers to tell them what the program was, it would have sunk without a trace in 50 years. If Jesus had allowed Caiaphas or Pontius Pilate to dictate their program to him, there wouldn't have been a church in the first place. As long as you live in this world, you are constantly gonna be pressured to conform. And the question is, Will you stand strong? I've said this before. Like, 
is if we follow Jesus, there's going to be, there's going to be aspects always about what we believe that the world is going to really hate. And they're going to pressure us. And the question is, will we, will we give in or will we be discerning and say, no, I, I love your will, God. I want to follow your will. And Paul says, only a renewed mind can do this. We look at that. Paul says, protection against this kind of pressure, verse two. Here's how you do it. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. He doesn't tell us specifically how to do that. What does it mean to have your mind renewed? It's an ongoing process. My mind's constantly being renewed. And that's part of my process of being transformed from the inside out. But we know from other places in the New Testament Here's some things we know. You cannot do this in isolation. It happens in community. You've got to have community, all right? No more of this Lone Ranger Christianity. Have you not been plugged in to the church? It's, it's a new year, 2023. Maybe this is the day God's saying, it's time to get plugged in here. I need to join a men's group. I need to join the women's Bible study. I need to get in a community group. You cannot do this alone, if you're isolated and you're out there, the, the pattern of this world is gonna press and press and press and eventually you're gonna walk from your Christian faith. You need community. You need to sit and worship. You need to be here Sunday after Sunday. What have you prioritized over Sunday worship? And Jesus is saying, give me, your, give me a living sacrifice. You need to be here. You need to study God's word. Hide God's word in your heart. I'd love it if our whole church memorized Romans 12, one and two. And we just had this, and we were meditating on it. How do you renew your mind? By hiding God's word in there, thinking about it, praying about it. Write Romans 12, one and two on a three by five card, put it on your steering wheel. And as you're going to work, just meditate on this precious, precious truth. Worship, we change by worshiping. We're having a worship night tonight, six o'clock. And I know many of you, you know, you've, you've come to these. Some of you have not. These are so powerful. One of the ways that we change, one of the ways our minds are renewed is by worshiping God together and praying together. We're just gonna pray in this space for our church and our ministries. Please come back, join us for that. But remember, Paul says, it's all based on the mercies of God. And so that's why we go to the table Every Sunday, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come as we get ready to do this. We go to the table. Why do we go to the table every Sunday? It's our reminder. Wait a minute. This whole thing is about God's mercy. It's about God's mercy. I, um, I've had people over the years say to me, you know, pastor, it's really risky to preach grace too much. You should, probably should not preach about grace as much as you do. Because here's the, if you preach grace people are gonna think that what they do doesn't matter and they're just gonna go off and live all kinds of crazy lives. And you know what my response to that is? That's just dumb. I'm sorry. That's just <laughs> dumb. It's not in the Bible. The, the reason we go off and live all kinds of crazy lives is because we've not understood grace. If I understand God's grace, it will change what I wanna do. I, I wouldn't make any sense to go off and live an a, a ungodly life because God has been so gracious to me. He gave his one and only son who hung on a cross in my place 
took my sin and was raised again in power. This is the extent that God has been merciful to me. So God, you can have my whole life. Every bit of it. Will you pray about that with me? Heavenly Father, the logic of the gospel says that we're transformed by truth first and then our lives change. Religion says try to change your life and then maybe God will love you. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is God, you have loved us. And now we get to change because of it. And we need to keep the order right. And so Father, I pray as we enter into a new year that this pulpit, this sanctuary, these times where we worship, our community groups, our studies will be soaking in the truth of the gospel to create a different kind of community, which we do want to be, Lord. Help us, Father, to build a community of Christ for the world, we pray. I pray for friends and those who are new visitors joining us. Thank you, Lord, for bringing folks to be a part of our community. You know, if, you're, if this morning you're reflecting and thinking, I'm not actually sure where I'm at with Jesus right now. This moment is a really sweet moment, and I pray you might consider the truth of what you heard this morning. Jesus loves you. He took your place, took your sin. He gave his life on a cross for you. You can go free. If you're starting to believe that, all you do today is just pray, Lord, I don't understand everything about the Bible. I don't understand everything about Christianity, but I know this, sin is a real problem and I need a solution that you have offered in Christ. So thank you for Jesus. I commit my whole life to Christ. You just pray that prayer and you are becoming a Christian in this very moment. Praise God for that. We love you, Lord, as we sing now and worship and go to the table. We pray our worship would be whole body, whole heart, whole mind, whole soul. All to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. We come to the table now as we sing.